0: If As you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5. We are working through the Ten Commandments, and one of the reasons why I want to do this is, you know, I have, I have this um, this uh, tendency when I'm preaching, just to, as I'm working on my messages, just to get really excited about the Lord, about something. And so it seems like every message is like, man, isn't Jesus great about this, and I can kind of miss out on actually talking about Uh, real life. Not that getting excited about the Lord isn't real life, but then we go to work and then we read the news and stuff like this. And so I want to work through the Ten Commandments as just a way to talk about real life subjects. Um, Because the Ten Commandments were about real life. And so we're going to continue looking at the command from Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, Thou shalt not commit adultery or you shall not commit adultery. And if you are with us last week, the big message that I was laboring on is the to the point that God is not um, an adulterer. So he doesn't break his covenant to ditch people. That's not what he's like at all. In fact, when we hear you shall not commit adultery, what the first thing we should hear is, my God is unbelievably loyal. And that's why he calls us into a kind of covenant loyalty as well. That's what he's like. God is un. Imaginably loyal. And I was making this point that a lot of the times when we kind of go crazy and we damage relationship, it actually is flowing out of a deep-seated fear that God doesn't like us, God rejects us, God isn't dependable. And any day now, he's going to let me know that he never wanted me all along and he's going to sever the relationship. And in that kind of fear, you need some other God. You need some other pleasure. You need some other righteousness. You're just scrambling for something to fill up the void that we're meant to have, which is peace, knowing that through Jesus Christ, God will be covenantally faithful to us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so just this call, just realize some of the craziest things you've ever done, isn't it true that deep down you were trying to fill the hole in your heart that should have been there from knowing that God is your heavenly father and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And um, and out of and, and let's, face, let's face the Lord and say, no, you actually have chosen and saved me through Jesus Christ. You started this covenant relationship that we celebrate every time we take communion. We're renewing this covenant that God has made with us through Christ at His initiation, at the cost of His Son. We didn't start this. And so, He's going to be faithful. So let's let's rest in the faithfulness of God. He is not an adulterer. He does not break His covenant commitments. He keeps them. And so next I want to talk about um, this call to be like him in holiness and honor. And so I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 5, and then we're going to pray together, call the name of the Lord again, and then we'll go from there. So the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, one of his first church plants, he says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Father, you're the... the I don't even have a word, God. You're the best of the best of the best of the best. Father, you are the greatest in holiness, the greatest in honor being worthy of honor and you're also the greatest in kindness you're the greatest in mercy you're the greatest in faithfulness you're the greatest in loyalty and you're the greatest in mission you're the greatest in outreach you're the greatest father so father i just surrender myself to you through the lord jesus christ and i pray that your holy spirit would be moving here in power today god you know that the world is a mess And uh, in this time, we have used our technology to actually make it way messier than ever before. And so, Lord, would you come in your great compassion through Christ? And would you teach us? And I pray, Father, that through your grace that we would actually be able to rest deeper in you and that we would have better strength to fulfill this calling that you give us in your word and to know you, and to love each other. In Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, Because the marriage covenant is probably one of the most important human-to-human covenants, the most important one, very likely. Uh, The one that is a till death do us part covenant. We should expect that it it would be an area of complete warfare and trouble in this life. Uh, We do make covenants all the time. Sometimes we call them contracts. Sometimes we call them deals. Um, If you've ever bought a car, a new car, uh, you're usually make a covenant that you're going to pay a certain amount of money at a certain amount of time for whatever. If you buy a house, you marry that house. And uh, for 35 years, you're just shelling out then trying to make things look better as it ages, right? Just like a marriage, right? Just, just kidding, just kidding. Ouch. It's a little levity. Walk with me here. But it, the reality check is is because um, the sexual relationship between a man and a woman is so important to God and so important to reality, we should expect it is like an area of major contention and strife and, and trouble because if we live in a fallen world where so that our natural inclinations are not in lined up with what God wants just by nature. Plus, there's all kinds of demonic powers that want to wreck and kill and steal and destroy everything good that God has made. And so we shouldn't be surprised that when Jesus was on the wor- in the world, one of the big areas of theological conflict he got into with his enemies was about marriage and divorce. And so in Matthew chapter 19... He's being tested by the Pharisees, and uh, they ask him about divorce. And so I'll read this passage here from verse 3 through 12, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 12. It says, the Pharisees came to him, that's Jesus, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So they were arguing about these things even 2,000 years ago, even in ancient Israel And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Quoting Genesis chapter 2. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce And sent her away. He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits divorce. And the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Typical faith-filled response from the disciples. (laughs) And some of these guys were married. Hopefully their wives weren't around when they started blurting these things out. He said to them, not everyone who can receive this saying, this it's better not to marry saying, not everyone can receive this, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So in a nutshell there's this co- conflict about marriage and Jesus says look to Genesis chapter 2 for your theology of what God's intention for marriage and human sexuality is and then when his disciples hear how high Jesus's standard is for marriage they say it's probably better not to get involved in this and I don't know if they meant it or if they're just kind of stunned but he takes them up on it and says, There are people who are called not to get involved in this, but that's not everybody. But if if you can, if you were given that gift, yeah, walk in it. That's the nutshell. And so as we hear Jesus giving this teaching about human sexuality, I pull out at least four things that Jesus teaches are um, godly human sexuality, God's intention for sexuality. You know, you need a picture of what's what's right. In, in our lives. We need an idea of what we've been called to. We need a, a picture of what good is. And so here's four things that Jesus pulls out of Genesis chapter 2 and lifts it up. Number 1, he calls human sexuality to be heterosexual. He says, "In the beginning man made God made them male and female." That's the first thing. He says it's supposed to be monogamous when he says, "What God has joined together, let no man separate." It's meant to be covenantal. That's the what God has joined together part. He's, he's joined them together in a covenant. So they're not to be separated. It's supposed to be covenantal, monogamous, heterosexual, and lifelong. Let not man separate. So this is God's idea for when he created human sexuality. This was his intention. It was meant to be a man and a woman in an exclusive covenant, just one just the other, together as one flesh, until death do they part. Though at the time, there wasn't any death to have that spoken over their marriage. And this was a really big deal for the early church and for early Christians, um, Christian ideas of sexuality. Because as the gospel uh, was being preached, it very quickly came out of Jerusalem and Judea where the issue was divorce and went into the pagan world where the issues were everything. In ancient Judea, during the time of Jesus, the big conflict was divorce. But as the gospel spread out of Judea into all the Greek areas and to Asia Minor and to Rome, the sexual issues were everything. people could do it, they generally were doing it somewhere where churches were being planted in the first hundred years of the gospel. And so regularly we hear in scriptures, Paul is writing these letters that the church is having to deal with sexual immorality or sexual behavior and calling people to live differently than they have been living. So, for instance, let me just run through a series. I just typed in sexual immorality as a search, and here comes the scriptures from the early church. Acts chapter 15, verse 19 through 20. They're trying to figure out, do they require the Gentiles to follow all the laws of Moses? They decide that this is not God's will for them, so they write this letter calling them to certain things in life, and it says, Therefore, my judgment, this is James speaking, I believe, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, so don't lay a bunch of burdens on them, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from things that have been strangled and from blood. So right away they say, right, we have to be telling these Gentile believers not to be getting caught up in sexual immorality. Romans thirteen thirteen, Paul says, "Let us walk as in the daytime, and not in orgies or drunkenness, or in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy." And so Paul has to encourage the church in Rome not to get caught up in these things because they do, they did, and they do. First Corinthians six nine through eleven, Paul says to his church there, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived." Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you, such some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And he has to call them to not be deceived because everyone around them in the Corinthian church were acting like this. This is how people lived. This was just normal. They're being called to something else. Second Corinthians 12 21, Paul readdressing this church says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexuality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Galatians chapter 5 Verses 19 through 21, Paul says, "Them Now the works of the flesh are evident. The flesh meaning how people live when they don't know God and aren't filled with the Spirit. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But sexuality, sorry, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is prop, proper among the saints. Galatians three verse five. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you: sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then our key verse for this morning: First Thessalonians four three through five. For this is the will of God for you: your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So just from this survey of Scripture, we can see that this was an issue that the church had to keep calling themselves to deal with, okay? What you're called to as Christians, which are called to as true human beings and image bearers in what you do with your bodies and your sexual relationships. You have to keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up. You say, Rob, why do you have to keep bringing this up? Oh, I'm just being scriptural. We've got to keep bringing this up, keep bringing this up, keep bringing this up, because deep down many of us uh, don't have the confidence in God's love for us that we should, and so we turn to people to try to fill up that void, and we do things with people that God has not called us to do. So we got to keep bringing it up. Now, in our current context, um, we are very, 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 very much like the ancient world when the church was spreading throughout the Mediterranean. We're, we're just very much like them. There are some people who are just like, maybe we should have some self-control. And back then, there were some teachers who said, hey, maybe we should have some self-control. Nowadays, there's some people who are just like, I quit on all this crazy business. There's not tons of them, but there are some of them. And back then, there were people, philosophers, who taught, we should just quit on all this crazy business. Nowadays, there are people who are just like, if you're not getting to do everything you want to do, when you want to do it, somebody is wronging you. And it's probably society and probably some Christians. And guess what? There were people back then as well who just said, if you feel it, do it. If you can afford it, go for it. So, th- so I'm saying this because this is actually an area in life where we can read the Bible and go same, same, same. Now, same here. You no, know, when, when it talks about like walking from one city to another city in the Scriptures, we have to kind of go, yeah, they didn't have cars back then. When it talks about like writing letters, and your kids are like, what's a letter? Different, right? A letter's like an email except you use paper. <laughs> What's paper? <laughs> oh, you know those things that people ha- hand out after you buy stuff? Oh, yeah, that. Right? It's like the last place that paper is actually used so that you can return that thing you bought from Canadian Tire. But this is an area where we can say, same. Very similar. Now, it's a little bit different because a lot of the sexuality of the ancient world had to do with their worship of gods that were like physical idols, and our worship of gods that leads to this stuff is kind of different. And a couple of the reasons why we find it in our culture very easy to um, want to have like a libertarian idea of sexuality, which is like if you can find somebody who wants to engage in that with you, then you're fine. If you're not hurting anybody, then you're fine. has a lot to do with... um, Secular evolutionism. Okay, those are big words, so you're welcome. Secular evolutionism, which are kind of two ideas together. Number one, there is no God, there is no spiritual realm. If you, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. And all human life came by accident out of just some goo that some, somewhere along the line started multiplying, and then um, through random chance and adaptations, here we are. Which is an idea that you can boil down to the saying like when it comes to sexuality, we're just chemicals, man. And if me and another person want to do something to make the chemicals go off in our brain that we like to have go off in our brain, why do you, why do you care? Who are you to judge? We're just chemicals, man. Yesterday we were goo. This morning we were monkeys. This afternoon we are people. And who knows what's going to happen tonight, but... We're just chemicals, man. And then the secular part comes in, because we, we actually have to f- live together. We don't usually just think, hey, we're just chemicals, man. Like when a big a mass shooting happens, we don't just think, oh, those kids in Parkland, they were just chemicals. So they used to be chemicals that went to school, and now they're chemicals in the dirt somewhere. And We're just all chemicals. Once upon a time, there was... We were all just carbon, and now we're just stardust. And by accident, a bunch of these chemicals turned into people, and who really cares? We actually do care. But because we kind of think that everything came from just an explosion, and there is no afterlife, and there is no ultimate idea of what's right or wrong there is actually no genesis two where god actually said i made you man and woman and i want you to be one flesh until death do you part because none of that's actually true or happened. then then just let me be happy okay i just if i just if i'm happy what's the problem that's kind of the, the big idea if it makes you happy it can't be that bad quoting the prophet cheryl crow and then the next line is if it makes you happy then why the heck are you so sad quoting the prophet Cheryl Crow, who actually had a thing going. Hey guys, if, if just getting to do whatever you want to do makes you happy, then why are we so sad? There's a conflict of worldviews, a conflict of saying this is what reality is like. If we really, really believe that we're just chemicals, and yesterday we were monkeys, and tomorrow who knows what we're going to be, And how can anybody actually believe there's any kind of meaning in how we connect with people? Like real meaning. Like your marriage means something. No, it doesn't. It's just some ink on a piece of paper while one bag of chemicals goes about with its brain fizzing and popping like a soda can that you've cracked recently, and somebody else does the same thing, and one person wants to fizz this way and another person fizzes that way, then. What's the big deal? But meaning, like actual meaning, meaning the Christian worldview is is radically different than that. And it's what I like to call reality. Okay. This is one of the things when we talk about worldview, it can kind of be like here's one worldview, here's another worldview, take which one you like. Actually, one of them is reality. And so what I'm gonna share with you now is is reality. I am convinced. I'm saying that just... There you go. It's what I believe. But by believe, I don't mean I also believe in unicorns. Like I believe this as in I brought my brain into coherence with how the universe actually is. What is the meaning of human sexuality? We know that this is God's intention from Genesis, but there's actually a layer of meaning that goes much deeper than what I read you. And Paul, the apostle, through the Holy Spirit, tells us what it is. From Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read this starting in verse 25. This is a command. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Anybody complaining so far? Any angry wives? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present her to himself, a church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And now, interestingly, Paul is going to quote Genesis again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, this is the big deal. It's going to take me a minute to explain it, so bear with me. Verse 32 says, this mystery is profound. Now, in Greek don't do this very often, so note me doing this. I don't often pull out the Greek card very often. I, if I wanted to try to, I could, uh, but I don't do it often because nobody cares. This is a time to care. In Greek, a mystery, a musterion, means something different than it does in English. In English, when we say it's a mystery, what we usually mean is we don't understand it, and you never will. Or you're watching um, Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express They all did it. There you go. It's not a whodunit, and it's not something that nobody understands. In Greek, when they use the word a mystery, what they mean is a secret that is hidden by God that is now revealed to be understood. That's the difference. It's not something you'll never understand. It's something like, wow, we are privileged to be in a time in history when the, the mystery is revealed. And what Paul is saying is he's saying when Genesis 2 was talking about a man and a woman being united in one flesh, the ultimate thing it was talking about was Jesus and his church. So the story, the Christian story is is this. Before everything was made, Father God is sitting on his throne thinking, as he tends to do. And he is thinking, there is going to be a time After the age of the fall when I am going to present to my son a bride who has been purified and they are going to be so united as one being and they are going to live together as one two things that are one thing so unimaginably united no one's gonna get it my plan to make my son a human being so that he can rescue a wife for himself and then come back from the dead and then at a certain point in time come back to receive this group of people which is his bride who have been rescued by his blood and chosen in love and that they are going to unite together in such a way that they will be together in awesome holy goodness love forever and ever and ever and it will be
1: two things Jesus Christ my son and his church but it will just be one thing one body so that it's like as oneness as you are with your own brain Two one, together,
0: love, unity, passion, holiness, honor, no one's going to understand it. How am I ever going to figure out a way to get these little creatures to figure out what my plan is to do for
1: them in Jesus? I know I will invent sex.
0: And when a man and a woman get together in a covenant and they have sex, it is this little tiny picture of what it is going to be like when Jesus comes back for his wedding day. And you're going to be united, and there's going to it's kind of it's going to be nice, and you're going to feel united, and it's going to kind of be nice, and you're going to be one thing, and it's going to kind of be great, and maybe they'll get it. And then he looked at the Holy Spirit, and he looked at Jesus, and said,
1: "Don't tell anybody for like four thousand years, okay? It's a sacred, sacred. They're going to think it's all about them. They're going to think it's about having babies, which it is." but then the time's going to come and I'm going to let them know it's about Jesus.
0: So every time on the planet when a man and a woman have sex, they're preaching the return of Jesus Christ. Sometimes really clearly and sometimes not clearly at all. But the whole point of all the genitalia and the chemicals and all that stuff is preaching about when Jesus comes back to get his bride. Two things. One flesh with joy
1: and unity. Two things that are one. How do you pull this off? No one's going to get it. Let's make sense. It's kind of messy and everyone will be embarrassed at church how often the preacher has to talk about it. But they'll be listening. And then they'll go, how oh, are we gonna talk about this to the teenagers? That we're, we should have sent them to serve in Sunday school so they didn't have to deal. Because lunch is gonna be awkward. <laughs> but they'll pay attention because everybody cares about sex because of hormones. Hormones are servants of the gospel. Because when they start raging through your body, God is yelling at you, Jesus is better! Jesus is better! This is just a tiny little sign of what it's going to be like when Christ comes back in His glory with His angels and He says, You're finally mine!
0: And the sex part is so insignificant compared to the united with Jesus by the Spirit part, that sex is over when He comes back. Did you, do you remember that from, from Luke? He says, "Hey, in the time of the resurrection, when 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 people resurrect them, they're not. We're not going to have marriage anymore. I'm not going to need it because I'll be back with my bride, and the the forever together part is so much better than what you guys are all excited about. That you'll be like, forget that noise, just like blah. Who needs it? Just blah. So." Marriage is like a jug of milk left on the counter on a summer day. It's got a best before date, and it's going to spoil. It's true, though. Like, think about it. When is the last time you ever saw a movie or newspaper article that said, it's just okay, but when Jesus comes back gonna be so what just one one day just like waking up and having a cup of coffee is gonna be so much more intimate and pleasurable than the best thing that we could ever put in a movie that you guys will just even be like, get that stuff away from me. Which I think is partly why Jesus can say to people, Hey, if you can accept singleness, accept it. Because it isn't better than being united with me in the Spirit. It just isn't. It just isn't. And everybody who's married now, they are going to just be like, yeah, what was the big deal about that now that we are with you, Jesus, in heaven? So part of the Christian gospel is this. We have something better than sex. It's called being united with the Spirit, having great worship times and and actually having great relationships and friendship, and it's all its all better. It's all better. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be so much better. It's going to be so much better. It's going to be so much better. Amen? So, whatever. I was jumping off the stage earlier today, so this isn't my best like. hope nobody's videotaping nothing today <laughs> but this is this is my big point number one there is such a thing as god's intention for sexuality and number two god's intention for sexuality isn't just about rules it's about it was created to teach us about christ and christ is better that's why we can't, like, be, we can't waver, we can't lie, we can't deny the truth, we can't promote things that are different than God's will because it's lying about Jesus and it's betraying Jesus and it's not telling the story of Jesus and it's leading people away from Jesus. That's the ultimate reason. It's not just about rules and dad's a jerk. It's he invented sexuality to preach the gospel of Jesus and the church cannot say, we believe in Jesus and by the way, we deny Jesus. Come and believe in Jesus. But by the way, let your lives totally deny Him. We have no problem with that as long as you're happy because we're just chemicals. No, no, no. It's about Jesus and it's about telling the truth about Jesus with our lives and our relationships and all the way up and all the way down and all the way across. Which is why it matters. Which is why it matters. So, What do we do? I've I've been saying that there is such a thing as God's will for human sexuality in this time. And there's a lot of things that aren't His will. I've been saying that same in the first century as nowadays, there's a lot of options for doing things that aren't His will. Can I have two encouragements for us? Number one, being Christians in North America, we're going to need to have so much grace with people inside the church and outside the church. We're just going to need to have... Just know what the truth is and have so much grace. Because most people outside of the church are absolutely taught in school, in the movies. It's like you just do what you think you need to do today. And they're hurting themselves with it and they're not knowing God by it. And we need lots of grace and mercy while we speak the truth in love. And we need lots of grace for each other because we're, we're just caught up in this stuff. So Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is one of the wonderful things about the gospel is it comes to us with this thing like this is God's will. (coughs) This is the truth. And if you don't measure up, I'm calling my whole church to be gentle with you by the power of the Holy Spirit while they try to help you get free. See, you didn't think I was going to say that. You don't measure up to God's will, so I'm calling my whole church, and they're going to come down to your house, and they're going to be gentle with you call you out from that so you can be free. Come on, guys. Is that what you expected me to say? You don't measure up to God's standard, so I'm going
1: to send my whole people to go out there and be
0: angry, judgmental, mean, no, gentle, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Any of you is caught in a transgression. You who are spiritual, you who are full of the Holy Spirit, restore this person in a spirit of righteous indignation, Sending them sermons, listen to minute 15.27 of Rob's sermon. He'll zing you. And he was jumping off a stage, so he really means it. (laughs) In a spirit of gentleness. So we need lots of grace for each other. We need tons of grace for each other. And amen. The Spirit of God is with us to do that. And the second thing I would encourage us to is to hear God's call for us to grow in self-control. For this is God's will for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexuality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Did you know that God's will for you is that you learn how to control yourself? Interesting, no. It is true. He sets up situations he gives you opportunities. He says, you know what? Natural is to not have control. The, uh, the, the message from the media is you don't need to have control. And God says, actually, I want you to learn how to have feelings and then not act on it. To have emotions and then walk in the light about it so that you can be free to actually learn how to use your body in a way that's honorable. And so for me, I'm just thinking, hey, then I guess I'm going to have to really plan on using my body in a way that's honorable. That's God's will for me. Just to actually grow in this. Which is good news. Let me address the guys just directly. Guys, if you can win the battle for purity in this culture, you can pretty much do anything. We live in a time where if you want to go buy clothes at the mall, there is like an eight-foot-tall naked woman right at the crossroads of St. Vitale Mall, every time. And if you can conduct your body in a way that is holy and honorable, you can pretty much do anything. So get there, by the grace of God. Amen? So get there. And and ladies, you too. You too. You too. You too. Sometimes you might struggle with the physical aspect. Um, Sometimes it's actually the wanting to feel attractive aspect of things that you can struggle with, right? Like if you live in a culture where there's eight foot tall women in their underwear at the mall every time, then isn't the whole point going, and how do you think you compare? do you think people want to look at you too? Buy these garments. Wear this perfume. Spend $300 at the Mac store. Whatever it is, I don't know. How about control your mind? How about conduct your thoughts in a way that's holy and honorable? This is God's will for us. And it's not so that we can pretend we're better than other people or feel like we're better than other people. It's because we know God. We know He loves us. We know He's holy and pure. We know what pleases Him from His Word. And we care about the people around us. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to mislead anybody. We don't lie about lie to anybody about Jesus. I'm going to invite the team to come up. But this is what I want to say. Your destiny, Christian, and it's probably going to happen sooner than you think, is to be perfectly united with the Son of God in a way that is so intimate, even the closest friendship you've ever had is going to feel like the worst fight you've ever had. When Jesus comes back, the unity and the pleasure is going to be so unspeakable. It's going to be great. In the meantime, He's given us His Holy Spirit so that we can regularly be connecting with Him in a way that is intimate, vulnerable, satisfying holy and good if you are caught in any temptation i am telling you we are continuing to grow in helping people in the spirit of gentleness to get escape from their traps this is what this is what we want this is what we're working on So Let's worship the Lord together Father I just thank you I thank you for the truth I thank you for your love I thank you for saving Jesus That is the Jesus who saves Would you move and power in our lives Amen